Welcome to We Are Already Free, the podcast helping down-to-earth seekers and free people to live their truth and be the change. Connect with diverse guests who share stories of how they find freedom on their own terms, providing you with inspiration and practical direction. Have you noticed that fighting against what you don't want only creates more of it, while leaving you too exhausted to focus on the things you actually care about? Are you ready to grow a more beautiful world? If so, welcome home. This podcast is for you. Do you ever struggle to transform into the more authentic or most authentic version of yourself? Maybe family, friends, and everyone you love thinks you're crazy. Are you interested in learning about the dangers of dogma, cults, and believing anything too strongly? Today's episode is a good one for you then. Sergei Botenko has gone through a unique journey from being a devoted and pretty famous raw food vegan for more than half his life to finally deciding to incorporate meat back into his diet. In this episode, Sergei discusses that more than 22-year journey and the reasons that led him to his current lifestyle. He also explains the benefits he has experienced from eating meat and how it has changed his life for the better. Don't miss this exciting episode of the We Are Already Free podcast to hear Sergey's story and get inspired to transform the things that are no longer serving you, no matter who else thinks that's a good idea or not. As Sergey says later on in this episode, a brutal identity shift and receiving lots of hate is worth it because I'm here for the truth. Some of the topics that we cover are why green smoothies is still the best takeaway Sergey had from his raw vegan upbringing, how wild edibles helped Sergey to eat meat, the powerful lesson Sergey learned while living with David Wolf, why it's so important that we choose challenging experiences regularly, and near the end, the surprisingly simple thing Sergey recommends to live a good life. As always, there is heaps more in here. We touch on the importance of names, which is a topic I want to dive much deeper into in a future episode. I'm your host, Nathan Maingard, and my name simply means gift. As a highly sensitive person in an insensitive society, I was very nearly crushed trying to fit the mold that our society just calls being a good citizen. Now I help others like me to embody their true selves through this podcast, inner life skills coaching, breathwork, ice baths, and creating empowering songs, stories, and poems. This podcast takes many hours of loving labor every week. Please consider becoming a Patreon supporter to energize this work directly, access an exclusive video recording of this very episode, uh, get bonus conversations with podcast guests, get a, even get a shout out on the podcast, connect with a global community of like-minded people, enjoy unreleased poems and songs, and, and much more. More than anything, when you pledge, you are directly manifesting more of what you love in the world. Thank you for being one of those who energizes this simple message. We are already free. Go to the show notes for the Patreon link, as well as links to Sergei Botenko and more info about the things we discuss in this episode. All that and more is at alreadyfree.me forward slash 24. That's just the numbers 24. And now please enjoy this entirely uninterrupted, community-funded conversation with Sergei Botenko. Well, thanks, first of all, for coming on, man. I mean, it's just so nice to be connected with you and really appreciate having you here. So thank you for, for being up so early over there. Thanks for giving me the invite. You know, it's it's been a number of years since I've been on any podcasts, my own doing, I'm sure. And 
uh, kudos to you right out the gate because I listened to a couple episodes. I love the title. I love the name and you just have a good vibe. So I was like, how could I not do it? <laughs> Thanks very much. That means a lot. So I have a, a, well, it's not a guilty admission, but it is an admission is that I've kind of been like a fan of your family for a really long time because back in, geez, it would have been 2008 now, I think I, I started working for some, some people who are running a raw food, superfood company in South Africa and still very good friends of mine today. But uh, at some point I came across the book. I think it was 12 steps to raw food or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, uh, yeah. and I remember the story of your parents and, and how you were all struggling with these kind of uh, illnesses that were inexplicable by sort of modern, uh, medicines standards. And, and then you, she, she's your, your parents supported you guys in healing through eating going like basically raw vegan. And at the time I was like, this is the way, this is the light, this is what I'm going to do. And, and it kind of just didn't really work that well for a very, for, for very long. Like it was initially like, oh, this feels kind of cool, but pretty quickly started to descend into this doesn't feel cool at all. And now I, where I'm right now is like, I eat a lot of meat. I prioritize animal products actually, because it just feels so good and tastes so good. And I just enjoy it so much. So I would love to hear just as that's like a brief intro to how I am connected with your family and still just so appreciative of the stories your mom told around, like how she, you know, putting little signs on the back of the door to, to educate you guys and just the little methods she used to kind of try to support her whole family in, in being well. So I'd love to hear if you don't mind sharing a sort of story of from I don't know, whatever comes up for you around that, like what it felt like to grow up and heal at a very young age from some pretty gnarly stuff. And then what, where you're at now and how that move happened. I'd love to tell you, excuse me, I have something in my throat this morning. (laughs) Eat the frog. So I'm going to preface all this by saying that I no longer eat exclusively raw food. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. I also eat meat. I also feel better now. And, um, you know, it's, I've spent the last 15 or so years, 10, 10 or so years, I should really go back and do the math, <laughs> but I'm trying to f- figure out exactly what my upbringing was. Maybe it's a coming of age, mid midlife crisis type of thing, but half, half the time I'm like, wow, I grew up in a raw food cult. <laughs> and the other half the time I was like, I was fighting the system and, you know, health, healthfully disenfranchised and the jury's still out. I don't really know. I think modern diet, the standard American diet, the standard world diet failed us. It failed every member of my family. It fails millions of people daily. And I think where the raw food movement came in is like, oh, this doesn't work. Let's go to the exact opposite extreme, right? Mm. And um, for a while, it works great because you start not eating all the crap, no junk food. Your food is full of enzymes and you know all kinds of phytochemicals and stuff. But then you get stuck in the dogma. We got stuck in the dogma. I got stuck in the dogma. And then you start blasting through those signs of less than perfect health. (laughs) Um, You know, teeth problems. There's a whole slew of them. Candida, all kinds of different things. And so as an adult, I'm I'm nearly 40 now. I just turned 38. I'm just kind of weeding through it and just figuring out what's what. Did raw food work because we're all meant to eat raw food? Or did raw, raw food work because we cut out all the garbage and you know, ate cleaner food. That's kind of where life is pointing me. That being said, I had a wonderful upbringing. (laughs) I've probably met, 
I don't know how many people, hundreds of thousands of people, let's say, because we toured around in vans, trucks, cars, planes, automobiles for over 20 years. And we would constantly meet people at classes anywhere between uh, 50 to 150 people seemed to be the norm, sometimes as big as 3,000. So I, I got to meet a lot of people. I got to get exposed to a lot of different things. And I also got to see where, you know, mainstream stuff doesn't always lead people to happiness to thriving, to success. And so was that too short? Was that, was that too general? We can, you can <laughs> definitely keep prying. I'm not trying to be secretive. No, man, no, 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 it's all good. So at what point, cause so the thing I remember was that initially it was lots of fruit. I was like fruitarian basically, or like lots of fruit. And I know this is a long time mm -hmm. ago in your timeline. No, but, it wasn't ever fruitarianism. We okay. did travel, we did try a lot of different things, but the approach that we ultimately ended up taking was, um, you know, lots of fruits, greens, nuts, seeds, and grains, which then morphed into let's heavy hit on the greens. Um, and we try to eat as balanced of a diet as we could within the realm of raw food. Mm. Well, I'm curious about that because the thing that I remember reading about was that green smoothies was the key to the whole thing. That became like, this is the secret to longevity. Mm -hmm. And I, I was super into smoothies at one point. I was making smoothies constantly and I just... I don't know, I just eventually kind of got over it. And I, and I just wonder, mm -hmm. what do you think about the green smoothies now? And is that still something that you recommend as like part of a whole diet or yeah, how does that feel? Absolutely, for you? absolutely. I think the biggest, best takeaway that my mom kind of delivered to the world was green smoothies. Um, just through her research connecting the diets of chimpanzees and human diets. I think really that's kind of where the key lies because greens, wild edible greens, they're all very nutrient dense. They're readily available throughout mo most parts of the world, most times of the year. And they're, you know, vitamins and superfoods. And so I, I still drink uh, green smoothies regularly. I have a couple green smoothie challenges on YouTube for those that care to try them. And the results speak for themselves. People benefit immensely. Now where people go wrong is they also try and be too perfect too quickly. Um, you know, so we've seen all kinds of things of people only making smoothies with kale for a year, you know, when you do that every single day for a year, that's not healthy. <laughs> your your body's meant to eat more diverse. Uh, kale doesn't grow all year round. So if we were just living off the land, living off seasons, we would eat kale while it was in season, let's say nine months of the year, but the, then we would be forced to take a break. But because we shop in stores and kale's, kale gets delivered there, you know, from South America or wherever it's currently in season, we tend to eat the kale <laughs> and then those micronutrients and trace amount of toxins can accumulate in our body and um, small problems can ensue. The reason smoothies kind of aren't as popular anymore is I think because everything's cyclical and it was a fad. People trended that way. They really did that for you know 15, 15 or so years and now there's other fads. There's right now like the vegans are fighting the carnivores. <laughs> Yeah. As you know, probably you're well aware. And there's all kinds of other things that people are doing. But every time I return to smoothies, I only see positive benefits. And, you know, speaking for myself as well as other people, this is 50 or so retreats talking. I've just, I've just seen some miraculous things. I've seen people normalize their blood sugar in a week, despite every doctor in their, in their world telling them that that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Beautiful. I did, so this is very interesting to me because I 
I'm currently I'm following people like Carnivore MD and I don't know all the other people who are the the big thing is around greens and oxalates. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm just curious to hear how how does that fit in? Like the idea being that greens don't really want to be eaten, and so they have defenses in place to stop that from happening too much. You know. That's a very good question, and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. If I learned anything in my raw food journey and health food journey is that we're all still figuring out how to eat and what the best food is, and it gets exponentially more complicated because we we all live on different continents and have different, you know, makeups um, from our history, our you know, our, our ancestors, and so I don't I don't claim to know all the answers. I don't think I ever did, but. Just in case there's any confusion, I'm going to say it now on your podcast. I don't claim to know everything. So, <laughs> um, Honestly, right now, what I'm thinking about a lot is wild edibles and, and just kind of, in a funny way, wild edibles help me to eat meat, <laughs> if you can believe that. My thoughts are still kind of a, a little segmented here, so you'll have to bear with me. But when I started observing nature more through wild edibles, I started noticing some inconsistencies. Like for example, I know that greens are really nutritious in all kinds of minerals, vitamins, phytochemicals, but they're low in calories. So if you and I wanted to eat only greens and wild edibles in Southern Oregon, we would be thriving May through September. Then as September comes in, it's going to start tapering off. All the food start, starts to go dormant. And at that point, we would be getting nervous, you and I, we'd be like, shit, what are we going to do? Are we going to migrate 2,000 miles south to Mexico where everything's still growing in abundance? <laughs> are we going to store massive amounts of food under a rock or in a hole or in a cave somewhere so that we can weather the, the cold winter months? Or are we going to find a third way to survive? And I'm being very simplistic here, but you get the picture. Mm. And so then the third way would be to eat animals, nuts, and seeds. And um, so that's kind of an undeniable fact. People can argue that, but like that's what people did 500 years or longer ago. Um, on the flip side, when we hiked from Mexico to Canada on the Pacific Crest Trail, we were really excited because this is the one time in our life where we, we splurged and we got all those dried fruits and nuts and seeds and all those delicious foods that we don't eat on a, a daily basis. And we were going to have a diet rich of them. But then a, a couple weeks into eating all this dry food, you start craving fresh food. And that's been my experience with meat too. If I ever go too heavy in the meat direction, there becomes a time when I start craving fresh stuff. Hmm. I think that's an intuitive sign that we're, we're meant to eat everything. And so I, don't, I may not be able to scientifically convey to you why, why oxalates exactly are beneficial to the body, but I've seen that they are and I just something in me is like, you need to eat a balanced diet, strive for balance, eat some meat, eat some greens. Don't be dogmatic. Mm. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that beautiful saying the other day, my karma ate my dogma. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, what do you think? You're, you know, you're well versed. I'm, I'm still figuring this out. And so I'm very curious to hear what other people have to say. Yeah. I mean, I also agree very much. I do not know. I I know I think what I've realized is everyone knows almost nothing, um, and that's because that because it's just so truth. much like in a universe of infinite information that no matter what we think. So so what I what I tend to do at this point around especially around food is look more 
the the ancestral kind of looking at like what would my people have been eating a thousand years ago or I'd say ten thousand years ago even more effectively or fifteen thousand years ago uh, and yeah the idea of at the moment and what feels good as well like so for me right now when I prioritize animals animal products so eating lots of yeah eggs steak bacon like all from well-sourced places i mean that to me is critical it's like what how were these animals treated what was their life cycle like is this regenerative how can i get stuff that's from as close as possible like if i can choose something that's from south africa versus well i can only eat blueberries from spain because i'm saving animals in the planet there's something in that that's very uh, short-sighted and doesn't doesn't take in the whole picture so overall right now the thing I feel best eating generally is meat, fruit, honey, dairy, fermented dairy. Um, and that's kind of mainly it. And then being flexible mm. within that. Like I had pizza yesterday or the day before. It was delicious. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. Flexibility is not an easy endeavor. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> I think it's really easy to pretend to be flexible. <laughs> but then when you're like... Am I actually flexible? <laughs> um, yeah. That's another story altogether. Yeah, I think we're yeah, all you know, just, we're like, we're like pugs in, in, compared to wolves, you know, as a species right now. Mm -hmm. I think the modern human is is a very like badly bred, badly fed, domesticated version of a wild animal. And so for any of us to find vibrance and health is, it's kind of amazing when we do actually. You know, I think there's a like a little secret to humans that we can run on, on all kinds of different fuel. I mean, clearly, we can run on garbage that we get from junk food stores for longer than we should. And um, that's a really beautiful thing. The body is like it. Just imagine if you could just put whatever kind of fuel in your car you wanted. You didn't have gas this <laughs> week, so you went and just poured some water in there and then then poured some apple juice in there when you got to the next spot. Um and I think you're absolutely right. We all have to observe ourselves and see how we feel, what makes us feel the best. We can, you know, have external stimuli tell us like, you should do this, you should do that. But ultimately, if we don't do the tests on ourselves, we'll just never know. And that happens, by the way, in every movement, whether that be the raw food movement or the carnivore movement or whatever, at least I've observed, right? We used to travel from coast to coast in the van teaching lectures and we'd go to the east coast and raw food people there would be like don't eat fruit fruit causes candida it'll turn into alcohol in your body and it'll poison you okay we're not gonna eat fruit so then we'd go to the <laughs> west coast and they'd say don't eat vegetables they're all hybridized they're all gmo nothing's natural about it they all turn into sugar you're just not gonna <laughs> if you go in that direction you're gonna be led awry okay no fruit no no vegetables what else okay we got nuts well, nuts have enzyme inhibitors in them, and they'll definitely kill you. It's not natural to eat nuts. We don't have gizzards. Haven't you heard? Next thing you know, we're, we're trying breatharianism, but we're, we're in Los Angeles at the time where the air is dirty, and so we have to hold our breath, and you can only do that for, I could only do that for about a minute, so then I had to just relax. And the same thing with carnivore. You know, some people eat fermented raw meat only and swear that that's the thing, and other people only eat you know, whatever. So 
what are you going to do? You observe and take, you know, back in the day, David Wolf, who was, he was one of my earliest influences on um, just being alternative. My mom sent me to live with him for a week in Southern California. Oh, wow. And he said something that I've never forgotten. He said, listen to everything like a CD. Listen to the tracks you love, skip the ones you hate. And so, David, if you ever listen to this podcast, thanks for that. It's been serving me in life very well. <laughs> oh man, I definitely got to get David on the podcast at some point. That would be fun. He's another. He's a. He's a wild one. That. He's a wild one indeed. <laughs> so, oh man, I love that. It's yeah. Interestingly, we were just talking about. Co- I had a coffee earlier today, and I I I don't generally drink coffee. Um, I do when I feel like it, but even today drinking it, I was a bit like, whoa, I can feel that caffeine. That is intense. And uh, that we were talking about how, you know, this guy says coffee is terrible because it's a seed and it's that that thing. And then someone else is like, no, it's the best thing since it's the elixir of life. And someone else, and I'm just like, wow, it's, and then I think of like these, my, my lady Carly, she follows some like Italian grandmas on Instagram where they are just like, all in their 80s, 90s, and they're all just making pasta constantly, like shimmying around the the table, having a great time. I'm like, no one really gets much more than 90 years. Like no matter how healthy, all the stories people have. And yes, of course, how we eat over time is going to dictate how do we feel getting up to that kind of age? Like how do we, what kind of diseases are we setting ourselves up for uh, in old age, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if we are happy and whole and hearty and have a sense of belonging and enjoying being with people and eating overall whole foods in a way that feels good for us. Rad, like do that thing. That's, I think you're, you're not wrong there. Absolutely. And kind of, so what that, where that takes me is in 2013, my mom and I, and my sister, my mom was off like researching centenarians and blue zones and stuff. And so at that point she was still convinced meat is not a good idea. And we were going to go film some stuff in a Costa Rican one. We were going to go to Ecuador. But then we realized there's a pretty big blue zone in eastern Siberia. And we're, of course, Russian. We speak Russian. Uh, This was a blue zone that wasn't really written about much in books. And so we're like, fuck it, we're going to go there. (laughs) We got special permission from the government because these these people are like, um, they're essentially like native tribes. And so you can't just show up with a camera and start filming them. We had to get some permission. We went out there and we probably interacted with 40 or so people that were up there in age, you know, 90 plus. The oldest lady we talked to was 107. And her, I was like, wow, you live with your kids. How nice. She's like, they live with me. <laughs> you know, very, very active farmer communities where they, they work really hard from sun up to sundown. In the summertime, that's 24 hours a day, 23 hours a day. In the wintertime, it's only like three. Wow. And the interesting thing about them is that when their kids move to the city, their life expectancy decreases by 20 years instantly. So if they live to be like 90, if they live to be like 102, let's say, their kids living in a bigger city will be 80 when they die. And so I was like, holy shit, in one generation? And so, you know... we. Everybody in our family had different things that we observed, different, um, what's the word, you know, different, we all kind of thought they got there for different reasons. My mom thought it had to do with the water. 
What I personally observed is that they lived close to the land. They followed the sun, got up and went down. They didn't overeat simply because it's, when you live close to the land, it's really hard to get excess calories because <laughs> you're just working and you're burning a lot. And then also fresh air. They were, they did, they were essentially like camping. A lot of people didn't have any electromagnetic frequencies around them. There was no power lines overhead. And the quiet that you would hear at night was deafening. It's like no place I've ever been on earth because there's just nothing around you. You're in the middle of the, the taiga. <laughs> and if you yell, nobody's going to hear you. And so I thought that was kind of interesting to your point. Oh, that's a wonderful story. I love that. So I actually have ancestry. I haven't explored it really much at all, uh, but I believe Siberian and Latvian and Polish ancestry that I know of. So my family fled those areas in the early 1900s, some persecution of the Jews at some point. I don't know the details, but, uh, and then my great grandparents on my mom's side, they met on the ship sailing over to South Africa mm. to get away from persecution. And that's, anyway, that's a whole nother story, but that's Holy super. Shit. They that's went to cool. South Africa, huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> so how, I'm just curious, how have you been able to track that through other family members or is that something that you've researched independently? No, just hearing stories from my mom just and my gran a little bit, but I know, I, I would like to actually look into that more. It'd be, I think one of the, one of the sad things for me about being, I guess, I don't know, a civilized Westerner or something is that my lineage is so kind of shattered in a way. And I, and I think of, uh, yeah, like tribal indigenous peoples having the opportunity to follow a lineage and to feel like really connected to something, something. I remember, have you read the book Civilized to Death by Christopher Ryan? It's definitely come across my table, but I haven't read it now. Yeah, it's a fun, it's an intense read and fun. I, lo I love the book so much. It explained a lot of things to me that I had thought of, but he brings it all together beautifully. And he he talks about one period in, in archaeology or in history, so archaeological history, where they're looking at what's what was changing over time. And I think it was in Europe. And there's like a 10,000-year period at some point where no new tools were invented. No new, it was like nothing changed. And he says people are a bit stumped about it. Like why didn't, why wasn't there stuff happening to shift over that time? And his theory, which I love, is that things were actually just good. People had enough. They were content. They didn't feel the need. They were migratory. They had abundance and they didn't need to invent anything. It was like, you know, and I was thinking, imagine being in year 6,000, where for 6,000 years, your ancestors have pretty much done the same thing year after year, moved through the same seasonal patterns, had a relationship with the same pieces of land as you moved through them. And I just kind of, there's a part of me that when I think of that, it deeply yearns for it. Interesting. Okay. So back to the Siberia thing for a second. Uh, while we were there, we got some of the friends that we made took us to a museum where they were showing us like, you know, prehistoric tools that people used. And the funny thing was right behind where the museum was, there were people plowing their fields with the same exact tools. Wow. So I think that there's maybe some parts of the world where that is still true, where life is good enough that, you know, progress is unnecessary, maybe you could say. 
It's an interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, why, why do we always want the new iPhone? I don't really know. <laughs> it seems like the other ones work just fine. <laughs> I hear you on that. I have, I have a pretty new iPhone. I, I, I resisted Me for too. about six, five or six years and it, it slowed down. That's what happened. Yeah. I got tired of how slow my iPhone was. I'm not shaming anybody for having new iPhones. I'm just asking myself the question, why? Totally. I had my oh, last no. one for seven years until it finally took a crap. And then you got to <laughs> play the game again. <laughs> got to spin the roulette wheel of technology. Oh, man. Uh, so I have and something about meat that I'd like to tell you if you want to listen. Um, oh, dude. That's some, something I only figured out during COVID. So if you want to get a little conspiratorial, we can talk about that. I'm so down. Again, I still need to go back and do the math because it was either 2007 or 2011. So bad. But um, in the later stages of my raw food eating, I started getting cravings for meat. And it was like a source of, um, it was a source of <laughs> panic and uncertainty because like, what the hell? I'm not supposed to be craving the dark stuff, you know? But I would dream about it. I would literally have vivid dreams where I would, I was hunting and I would jump on a cow and bite it in the neck. And I was like, I'd wake wow. up and be like, holy shit. <laughs> anyway, I, I didn't act on it. And then we came back from Southeast Asia. We were touring over there and I brought something back with me and I got really, really sick. I had a fever of 104 for like two weeks, maybe like 12 days, just under two weeks. I was on my deathbed. Uh, I thought I was going to die, kept being sick, went to the doctor. Doctor was like, you're sick. <laughs> Here's a bill. Didn't do anything for me. A naturopath, good friend of mine. Anyway, after that was over, the fever finally broke. I went into this vertigo cycle where I had vertigo for about six weeks. Couldn't, couldn't drive, couldn't ride a bike, had to walk everywhere. And at the end of that, I ended up at a 4th of July barbecue <laughs> that one of my, my friends was hosting. And he was cooking lamb, chicken, and, and beef. And at this point, I had not touched meat in 22 years. I was a raw food vegan for 18 of those. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and everybody told me, you're not going to feel good. You're going to be sick. You know, you're going to eat this poisonous substance. You're going to just, you might, you might even die because you're too pure. Anyway, I ate some meat. I ate three kinds of meat that day. And I started feeling like Wolverine instantly. I had like a surge of protein in my body and I was like, ah, <laughs> everything. I don't, I don't know if it was like, this is maybe a little anecdotal, but the vertigo went away. I started instant, instantly feeling better. And that surge of energy lasted for at least a week before I ate meat again. So that was kind of my coming back to reality sort of aha moment. And the interesting thing about that was I'm pretty sure that sickness was SARS-1 <laughs> because it was an unidentified respiratory virus that ended up being a long haul. And um, I'm just kind of, you know, I went back to the same doctor during all this crazy the last three years to kind of check in about that. And he was like, yep, I think it was <laughs> SARS-CoV-1. So I think I had some, I don't know, it was just kind of an interesting to me, it signified that my diet was lacking when that happened because I, my immunity was low. And then through the act of eating meat, I believe 
you know, my body was like, this is the way you need, you need to go. Do you feel, or would you share a little about the story of moving? Because obviously, as you said, you had these stories, you're going to die, it's poisonous, you're too pure for this. And so the circles you were rolling in, I guess a lot of them were quite, well, dogmatic. And what happened for you through that process of transformation, of, of becoming someone different who now ate meat within a circle where everyone knew you to be someone who didn't? A bitter ass shedding of identity. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, you know, probably still, and I'm still, I'm definitely still shedding. Not probably. I'm definitely still shedding and trying to figure everything out. In a weird way, living through COVID actually disenfranchised me back towards the health, health direction. It's not that I've abandoned healthy eating. This has been part of my life indefinitely. Though it has morphed and changed over time where I now just try and look at things more full picture. Like if I do A, you know, what happens? If I do B, what happens? Um, but yeah, just a brutal identity shift. You know, lots of hate, lots of positive comments too. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter though because I'm in it for the truth. I, I just want to know you know, how to be a better human. And I, if people want to follow any of my teachings, I just want to share the truth with them, even if it's uncertainty. And um, I don't, you know, I don't always know what that is. But if I'm honest about it, it's like Mark Twain says, the truth will set you free. If I'm honest about it, then there's no problem. Where dogma becomes a problem is when people start lying about it, when people start covering shit up, you know, like most recently with the liver king, turns out he wasn't just eating liver. And that kind of, that actually, when that happened, it was triggering in a way because I saw that a thousand times in the raw food movement. Somebody would come on, on the scene and start spinning a, a story, a beautiful story, only to discover that that wasn't true. And, you know, we're probably guilty of it too. Maybe that's just, you know, polarizing stories are attractive. You know, when somebody makes a really big, bold claim, it's exciting. We want to follow it. I want to follow it. But then generally in life, I've learned that it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. And so I don't know if I answered that. Please feel free to pry some more. But shedding identity was, was brutal and beautiful at the same time. Because you realize you're not, you know, there were times when I would identify with, uh, my, my trail name was Durian Mango. My identity was wrapped into like fruits and vegetables and health but people are like onions, dude. We're, we have so much more to us than just one or two different things. You know, when in my youth, I was a skateboarder and then I shed that identity. And uh, there's been plenty of other ones over the years, but the raw food one was definitely the biggest one. And I'm still navigating it. And within your family circle, has that been, because you said your mom at one time was still being like, you know, fruits and veg, raw food or veganism is the only way. And how has that, how has your transformation been a part of your family's transformation? If I'm being perfectly frank, it wasn't good for the family. <laughs> we definitely fought a lot and disagreed a lot. And um, actually in recent years, we've been more and more estranged. And I'm trying to make sense of why that happened because we were so close growing up. And most recently on a hike, you know, I was kind of preparing in preparation for this. I was like, why did that happen? 
and I got this little, maybe it's this. And that was when sometimes when musicians travel around in a van for 20 years together, they get so, they get oversaturated with each other and then the band breaks up. And so maybe that's kind of what happened with us. But definitely as we became more adults, my sister and I, you know, we were raised kind of in that alternative circle. And then as we became adults, we started reaching further outside the bubble. And um, then our opinions started to differ. And by the end, right now, basically, there's no end right now. Everybody (laughs) thinks something differently. And I don't even know what most people, like what my sister thinks on certain subjects or my mom or my dad, but it's not really my business. My business is me. I hear you. I have a deep resonance with that. I'm currently estranged from my sister. Uh, We haven't spoken in quite a long time, which is wild to me because we were, she was the first person in my life that I really felt fully safe with as a, she's five years younger than me, but when I was sort of, I don't know, becoming a a bit of an older teenager and she was just starting to, you know, 12, 13 years old, we just started to have these really deep conversations and she was like, we could go and just meet in this place in that field beyond right and wrong, as Rumi says so beautifully. And, uh, and I always kind of just assumed that that would be the case, that we could disagree on stuff, but it would be okay because we're just, just exploring the, the relational space. Um, that is not currently the case. I, I have been denied access because of differing opinions on various things. And it's sad to me. It's, a sh- it, it's almost, to me, it seems like a symptom of, I don't know the terminology that's appropriate, but uh, of woke culture or of the polarization that has been engendered by modern social media, where it's where opinions and identification with opinions becomes more important than than collaboration or connection. Or it's like, well, if we differ, then then you're an enemy and you're doing violence upon me. And so I, I just uh, thank you for sharing a little bit about that. It's not an, as for me, I can only speak as a fucking hard place to be in. It's one of my favorite people in the world and I don't get to hang with her right now. It sucks. May I ask how long it's been? How long have it you has been estranged? Been, I mean, we've been estranged now for a few years. Uh, we haven't spoken in... Like we haven't had communication that felt like a two-way kind of meeting of equals for pretty much this entire year. Uh, and actually quite a while before that, but she she drew a boundary kind of beginning of the year. Where she's like, don't contact me. And I don't know, you know, I'll let you know when I'm ready. And at this point, it seems even less likely that she'll be ready anytime soon. So I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's uh, my sister. Actually, similar thing happened. Our views diverged. I don't really know what happened, but it's been over a year since we've talked. And it's rough. But you know what it what that kind of taps into for me is again back to the raw food lifestyle. I I noticed early on that a lot of people were fighting over like crumbs, right? They were like it was like the Bible all over again, like, you're not interpreting the word of God correctly, but I am, so follow me and not that happened over and over again. And I always was like, why, why are we like fighting each other when we should be fighting Pepsi-Cola or, <laughs> or like Monsanto? Like, why the hell are you like telling me I'm eating, I'm not eating enough fruits and I should be eating more. And I'm telling you, you should be eating more vegetables. And, um, and the pandemic sort of like opened my eyes again to that. Like 
maybe you shouldn't scrap all of that, Sergey, because like unity and community, you just, it's, you, you must find it. You must find common ground with people, regardless of who they are, what they eat. Um, because it sure, it sure seems like the other guys, the Coca-Cola, the big brands, they're the ones like, if we make them fight, they'll all drink more Coke. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly so, you know, that. some people just get wrapped up in that mindset. Sometimes they're family members and uh, views diverge and, and recognizing what I just told you, I don't want to be the guy that like my, my way is right and your way is wrong. So as hard as it is, I just have to let my sister go through her process and hope that one day we will reconnect and listen to her and love her and until then just love her from a distance. Yeah, man, I, exactly. I could say that word for word for myself would be as true. It's, uh, and, and acknowledging my, my part in it, you know, that I, that's, it was something that she was experiencing that felt really important to her. And she brought it to me and I didn't respond in the way that she wanted me to. And if I'd taken a breath and just been like, hang on a moment, can we just talk about this when it's not late at night and I'm not exhausted and we could just like have this conversation in a calmer way and for whatever reason that. But then I think it's, you know, I'm five years older than her in this case. I think she's always looked up to me a lot. She always turned to me for advice and for opinions. And I think a lot of the advice I gave her when I was younger was terrible advice because I was a fucking teenager, like trying to navigate a reality that I had no context for really how to do it responsibly. So yeah, I, I, I guess the saddest part for me is I would love to do this processing with her. Like I would love to sit down and just be like, tell me like, what's going on? What is the stuff that you, what are the stories that you have about me? And maybe they could serve me in also being a better person to see part the shadowy parts of myself that I don't want to look at. And that's hard for me to look at without someone else reflecting it. But um, all I can do, there's a beautiful saying uh, that I heard on someone else's podcast where she said, the only thing any of us can do actually is get right with ourselves. That's literally all any of us can do. And I, I, I hold that to me. I think about it a lot and I, I, I practice embodying it a lot. <laughs> Dude, thank you for that. I, it's a good reminder. The only thing we can do is work on ourselves. Indeed. That's literally the only thing we can do. It's kind of empowering <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. If you don't know what to do, work on yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I really hope a, you get the chance. I hope that, yeah. you know, your sister comes around and she tells you what's wrong with you. <laughs> I hope you get to listen and, <laughs> and I hope I get that chance too. Yeah, man. I wish that for you as well. I wish that for all of us. Uh, You know, we're also coming out of like a wartime scenario into another (laughs) wartime scenario and people are just spinning. I'm spinning. It's been tough. And I, you know, I always wondered like if you go on YouTube and you, you plug in world war two in color, right. And you just start watching people it's fucking crazy, dude. People are smiling and laughing as they're taking bricks and moving them, like trying to unbury their homes that have been bombed into rubble. And I always thought, like, that's bone chilling. Why the why the fuck are they smiling? <laughs> their entire lives fell apart, you know. And then the pandemic happened, and I think I learned why. And it's because the camaraderie that comes with hard times brings us back to our ancestral tribal roots. We just find people that are in our, our tribe and we reach and we grab them and we pull them close. 
And when wartime ends and that kind of dissipates and people start going back to their own lives, I think it's like post-traumatic stress. I think we're, we're, we really like that group that we've made. And uh, I've, I've realized now is like things are kind of opening up and whatever that um, <laughs> I'm just like, wow, I have to remember what this is all like because the pandemic was a lot of things, but it was also tight-knit community for me, like people <laughs> coming together, some of us that were resisting some of the mandates and stuff, you know, we really formed a tight-knit community and now it seems like we're kind of floating around like, what do we do now? <laughs> The things that we cared before about, do we still care about those things or do we care about new things? <laughs> Somebody talk to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's a very natural thing for humans. We are tribal by nature. And so people often talk about, I think the word cult has unfortunately been negatively appropriated in a way by this idea of like, ooh, you know, you don't want to be in a cult. But what people forget is that we are all in a cult because the root of the word cult is cultus, which means culture, is to be in a culture. We are all in a culture. And I think the the worst cult <laughs> that anyone could ever be in is to believe that the society's consciousness as it is right now has the the interests and the health and the well-being of its people as its priority because that's not what I've witnessed as the truth. Uh, it just, just observing like, oh, if, if you follow all the rules, basically, if you go to school, you, get, you go to university, you eat the food they tell you to, you go to the doctors, that the society, you watch the news, you just, just do the things that everyone tells you to, your likelihood of getting very sick, very unhappy and dying young and unwell is much higher then if you percent <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and so there's something in that of like that's the cult that we default into in our society unless we choose differently and so mm -hmm. i think the, the 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 term that i've come up with for myself is choose your cult wisely mm -hmm. yes i think you're spot on i think we're all in a cult whether we realize it or not in some to some degree right and we have to absolutely choose wisely it's it's absolutely critical because like you said moments ago we only get 90 years or whatever and i'm halfway through that so yeah, <laughs> you know, i better start choosing even better than i did before <laughs> yeah man so if let's get into that a little bit i'd be curious just for the listener to sort of they're thinking well what the hell do i do now so w with with your 40 year nearly 40 years of of life on this planet and also having been someone who's been involved in something that's very like was very strict and stringent around this is how we're supposed to be to have a good life and and one of the things you expressed to me when we were chatting a few days ago was around moderation so i'm just curious like what is the thing or what are the things that you would say to someone who is looking for that balance within themselves uh, what are some of the things that have helped you in your own journey well moderation moderation and more moderation and of course moderation has to be done in moderation which is like the most <laughs> difficult part of moderation <laughs> Listen, in 2015, I was working on a project, a documentary I was making called I Want Abs. The title describes exactly what it was about. And so I started working out. I hired some trainers and I was just like, I, here's my goals. I want to be in the best shape of my life. I don't want it to consume my entire life, i.e. I still want to be able to work and hang out with friends. And I want to do it in a healthy fashion. I'm not interested in taking steroids or anything. So... 
you know, there's a million ways to do it. Some people would say I did it completely wrong, but I've never felt better. I was eating <clears throat> a diet rich in animal products as well as fruits, vegetables, nuts. You know, I just kind of was eating the epitome of a balanced diet, working out an hour a day, five days a week. I've never felt better. I literally have never felt better than I did then. And that was my, my aha moment in that respect. Just find what balance means for you. For me, it meant um, not overeating, not eating late at night, taking a big at least 13-hour break in between the, my last meal of the day and the next meal in the morning. Exercising, exercise was huge. You know, I, I, I thought up until that point that I knew about exercise, but I didn't know anything. Going to the gym, actually getting, lifting heavy things and sweating gives you the, the best mental clarity, gives me the best mental clarity that, you know, tr trumps everything else. And so, you know, my eyes were open to you guys can go and watch that movie on, on YouTube if you want, but um, my eyes were open to the power of moderation. And that just, you know, life is a big old puzzle and there's lots of puzzle pieces. And I have, so through that, I saw how important moderation is, but the implementation of getting all those pieces in perfect order, in perfect moderate order is the difficult challenge. You know, how do you regulate your exercise and your diet and your sleep and not gossiping with your friends or, you know, how do you get all those pieces in alignment, your love life, your partner in order to get the most out of life? And the short answer is, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> Damn it. I was waiting for the punchline. I was like, this is it. I'm about to get the download of I'm, all downloads. I just got you. I left you hanging. But I think when we, when we do difficult things, you know, I'm not breaking any new ground here, but when we do difficult things, that gets us out of our heads, that gets us out of self-pity, gets me out of self-pity. And then we are able to set our sights on something bigger, something more important, and that helps us to be more moderate. When we're in our heads and pitying ourselves, I just want to eat pizza and ice cream all day, all day long and sit on the couch and feel sorry for myself. One thing I've been doing lately is I've been getting out of bed, cover off, and then I force myself to walk into the backyard where it's 20 degrees and dunk in a cold plunge when it's still dark outside. And that is super fucked up. <laughs> Dude, but I was going to, I was going to ask you about ice baths. I was like, I don't know. I, Cause I've, anyone who listens to this podcast is probably like, dude, stop talking about ice baths. <laughs> but I just, I find like everything you just said around doing difficult things, getting out of the head, getting into the body consistency. Um, what was the other one was moderation. Like, and all of those aspects to me, they come together and all connect in one present moment experience which is getting in that fucking ice bath it's not easy is it no <laughs> especially when you leave your beautiful wife in bed she's like don't go it's so warm <laughs> and you're like why the hell am i doing this again <laughs> because joe rogan told me but i tell you what when you submerge your head in darkness cold icy darkness all that little, all that little noise that's like, you know, you're not good enough, this, that, and the other, it just, it just vanishes and you're like, okay, I'm alive. And so I'm going to keep doing that and see what happens. A little yeah. tests, you know? Wow. A little test challenge us and mm -hmm. help us be better, help us be human. 
Yeah. Dude, that's brave. That's brave. Like I watch, uh, there's a lovely guy, Sean the Viking Zimmer, on who I connected with on Instagram. And he was a, one yeah. of the early guests on the podcast. And he shares these videos regularly that I'll see if I can share one in the show notes as well, as well as all the other videos that you've been talking about. I'll make sure there's links to those. But um, he shared one where he's in, in Canada and he goes out. It's early in the morning. It's snowing. There's snow everywhere. And he goes and he he like bashes snow off the top of his ice bath and then pulls the lid off and then breaks the, the thick layer of ice. And I'm just like, I mean, I walk out here. It's the sun is shining. The birds are chirping. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll get in my ice bath this morning. And it's way easier on that. I mean, it's still, there's still that moment of standing next to it and being like, I'm, this is it. And then it hits, it hits so hard, but it's not the same. <laughs> I don't think you're right. Actually, I'm going to push back on okay. that. I think cool. when it's super cold and icy, it's theatrical and it looks dangerous, but it's actually way easier. I think when the hardest is when the out, outdoor temperature is close to the water temperature, maybe a little higher. So let's say it's like, 36 Fahrenheit, you know, just above freezing. Personally, for me, it's way more difficult to climb in that water when the water is slightly colder than the air versus when the air is below freezing and you climb in the water, it actually feels warmer. Oh, so I think that you in the tropics, I think you're actually showing all of us up. That's an interesting one. I, I don't know. There's a, there's a certain, I think, so have you heard Andrew Huberman talk about uh, cold immersion at all? Um, not, no, not, not lately. I, I do like the guy, but I haven't heard. Yeah. He's got a great, I think it's two and a half hours. I, st I haven't quite finished it yet, but it's literally the, pretty much the whole thing is about cold immersion and he, it, he just breaks it down so beautifully. And he talks about the wall. He's like, I'm going to call it a wall. So you basically, uh -huh. what you're doing is he said, basically the time thing is cool when you're starting, but it's, it's not a great way to keep growing resilience because eventually you'll have the water as cold as you can get it and you'll be able to sit in it for like ages so it becomes like how are you going to keep increasing resilience when you reach that point he said the thing to actually focus on is this idea of resistance which is the wall and he said what that actually is is your adrenaline spiking the fear that there is i, I don't want to do this is the adrenaline coming up and so he's like actually decide how many walls do i want to climb over in this experience. So for example, you wake mm -hmm. up in bed with your beautiful wife. It's, it's all warm and cozy. She's like, don't leave me. And that, if you get out of bed at that point, you've just climbed a wall. Like you just got over, you mm -hmm. just, you did the, the thing you don't want to do or part of you doesn't want to do. And so then he just, he's like, decide, you know, three, four walls, five walls. And sometimes that could take you you just get in the bath for two minutes and you're like, cool, I've got over like four walls already. Sometimes that might be six minutes or 10 minutes where it really is more about, and he says, know that when you feel that resistance rise and you choose to climb over that resistance and continue and, and experience that release at the, at, on the other side, that that is the growth of resilience. That is you doing the thing. And it's not about time. It's about that resistance and then meeting it and going over it. Smart fella, dude. Andrew Huberman, yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you for yeah. all that you've done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, on that note too, the it's not how long you go in cold water. I think that's that's where the, one of the tricks is, right? Because myself, my inner human wants to be like, not only do I want to climb in that cold ass tank early in the morning, but I want to spend three minutes in there. And that thinking is problematic. The fact that you climbed in the tank period, you've already won. The other is bonus, and there's a very big temptation for some reason to spend three minutes in there, and then when you hit the three-minute mark, why not five? And then maybe I'll just eat breakfast in the cold plunge. <laughs> um, I think 
I need to remind myself somehow once and for all that just getting in the tank is the win. The rest is just bonus. You can sit in there as long or as little as you want, but just by getting in, you're already out of that that self-pity mindset and you've set yourself up for the day to do hard and good things. Mm, well said. Yeah, so I, I love know, that you... Maybe you have some advice for me, because <laughs> I'm looking for, for it from you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, to me, this conversation is like what helps me. Is is just the reminder. It's that That's what I carry. Um, you know, so actually I will tell you a story that, that's really been helpful for me. So when growing up, my my parents as dysregulated nervous system dysregulated people doing the best they could in a broken society they the, the feeling that i experienced from them was that i wasn't enough that i you know i, I i'm not enough i i'm failing i i always make mistakes i need all those stories that i was running from that at, at a conscious and subconscious level so like at a nervous system level and at the inner voice level and so what I discovered is that that critical voice, they're like, oh, Nathan, you're not doing well enough. You, you fucked it up again. Like, oh, you suck at this. That voice does not get me into ice baths. I, I can't use that voice to be like, come on, suck it up. You know, get in there, like be a man, whatever the story. I just won't do it if I'm using that voice. And the voice that I do use and that I've been developing now for a few years, actually through plant medicines, through breath work sessions, through all the work that I've been doing to, to get well, to be well in myself is, is a whole different voice. And this is the reparenting or repatterning as, as uh, someone said recently on the podcast, which I love repatterning. And it, it, th this voice is much more like, hey, little buddy, I know this is super hard and I know that you're a bit scared right now, but I'm with you and we've done this before and you do hard things. Like, and I know that you want to do this as much as I do. And remember how good we feel after we do this and remember like, why? Because we want to show up in the world and we want to have a beautiful life. We want to help people and be in service and be authentic. And so like, let's do this thing, you know, and that voice and oh yeah, you're scared. Take another breath, soften. Like, let's just stand here for a moment. Let's get into it. Okay. Let's take one more breath. Let's get in the water. Come on. I'm with you. Let's do this. Like, and it's, it's that voice is what gets me into the ice bath. It's the kind older brother or it's the kind parent inside my own head talking to the little me who's like, I don't want to do this. I'm scared. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And it's like developing that kind voice is what keeps me getting back into the water. And how do you snap into kind voice if you're a negative voice? What, what, do you have any tricks for like? That's a great question. I think just over time, consistently practicing it. And, and also just that I can't get in the ice bath if I don't use it. Like there's no, when I've made the decision to get in the ice bath, I kind of just automatically switch into that because I've said, like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the ice bath. So I go stand next to it and that now I'm there and especially actually having other people around. So like having a friend with me or doing it in a circle or when, as soon as there's just even one other person there. I'm like, well, now, and that's also a little of the yeah, positive ego of like, well, now someone's watching, like I've got to do it. So then I have yeah. to use the voice that's going to get me I in because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I found personally that when I throw shit out on the internet for accountability, there's nothing more motivating than that. When you tell your audience, hey, I'm going to get six pack abs in the next four months, man, you better get those abs. Otherwise, somebody's going to be writing you hateful emails all day long. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for yeah, that. That's interesting. Yeah, thank you. No, that's great. And I love that you brought up our weight training because so I was a surfer in my teenage years 
And that was my, that was like my temple, man. Like surfing just gave me everything that I needed that I wasn't getting anywhere else. A sense of oneness, a sense of flow, a sense of strength and agility and, and skill. It was amazing. And then unfortunately I got into some pretty hard drugs as a sort of 17, 18 year old and it, and it just sapped my vitality. And then I started getting, um, chronic pain in my body and neck spasms, all these things. Anyway, so I haven't actually surfed now for quite a long time, but I never really did anything else to replace it. I did some yoga here, there, did some pull-ups, some push-ups. I was always like trying little things, but this year and towards the end of last year, and then really this year, committing to kettlebells, a consistent training with like sweet, as you said, lifting and moving hard, heavy things around. Oh my word, what a difference. So we got that in common too, man. I swing kettlebells daily. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got certified through IKFF um, last January. And in the summer months, every Sunday, we do something called kettlebells and coffee at my place. We have <laughs> an acre in the front yard. And so we basically get in, get meet together at 830 in the morning. Whoever wants to show up, friends, family, community. And we swing kettlebells for an hour and then we drink coffee and shoot the shit it's it's awesome Dude. you know they're they're a tool it's, it's very easy for me to want to be dogmatic about kettlebells too but <laughs> kettlebells are a tool wild edibles are a tool and sometimes you use a hammer and sometimes you use a crowbar but you know there's there's an application for each one of them and kettlebells are awesome i'm so happy to hear that you're doing it are you working with um may i ask or what kind of kettlebells are you working with so just first to preface, I have had no training with kettlebells. I just watched a lot of videos on technique and I and then started doing it myself and I have felt really good with it. It's been months now and I just feel better and better. Like I'm get, getting some more advanced swings in with like throwing and flipping and like just really having a lot of weird fun with it. Um, but just hearing you say when you said like you got uh, certified, I was like, I want to do that. Um, but the the ones I'm using are just from... They just, I just bought them. I can actually show you. Hang on. You'll probably be able to yeah, tell me some cool things it. about it. Hang on a sec. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is a 35 pound, which is 16 kilograms. Um, mm -hmm. And I now, I've been using that for the last few months. And then recently I've moved on to as well using two 10 kilograms, like as a, mm -hmm. as an alternative, which is fun. I do really like using one anyway. So this is the, uh, Hell yeah, that looks like a kettlebell canes kettlebell maybe. I mean, it's not, it's just a local, just doesn't no, have any brand name on it or anything, but that's, South I'd love African to get a competition one at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard the competition awesome. ones is like a whole different experience. Uh, I haven't had that chance yet though. It is simply, I'll tell, let me tell you why, if I may, a competition kettlebell maintains the exact same shape and size as it goes up in weight. And so the, the, the shape doesn't change, but the density changes. Oh, wow. and the reason that's good is as you grow muscle, you know, you, you swing, you clean, you jerk your kettlebell, you get stronger, you move up to the next weight and nothing changes. That's not a bad kettlebell, what you have in your possession, but the ones that are like small and then go up, you want to avoid those because as you go up, your movement, your form will change and you don't want that. You want to solidify, work on a good form, solidify it, and then just keep it there. Cool. That's uh, that makes so much sense to me, and I they are all different sizes. So the two ten kilos are like much smaller, and then and actually even the handles are different shapes on the two that I bought because I and I was like that's not great. Uh, that feels super weird. Um, yeah. 
Exactly. And there's a, if and when you go that route, shameless plug for this company called um, Pro Kettlebells, they're new out of Seattle. Man, if I had to do it all over again, I would replace my entire army of kettlebells with them because they've, um, they've changed the shape. They're still round. They still maintain the same size, but they have peaks and valleys. And the peak, if it lands Um. wrong, it's, it, you can tell you're like, Ooh, that hurts. And so it kind of, it's like a training wheel almost where it inspires you to get your form correctly and land in the pocket instead of the peak. So just look those up. Dude, that's awesome. I don't think I can, if I pay the, the delivery <laughs> the fee, fee to South Africa <laughs> on a kettlebell well, yeah. too, that's a, uh, that's going to hurt. That's even true for here. The shipping on kettlebells is more expensive than the kettlebells. <laughs> like I said, uh, well, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's getting in the gym that matters and the kettlebells are just a tool. Yeah. Exactly. A, a I, tool that Russian farmers used to... <laughs> Uh, brag with right yeah yeah so there's a beautiful um there's a beautiful thing a friend of mine recently said which it's called stacking the allies is what he called it so he's like Mm -hmm. basically it's the things we do that we combine that when we stack them the things that are good for us and we stack them and they have exponential results so uh, my sweetheart carly and i because we found this really beautiful flow in the morning and we, we we were thinking we call it breath bath and bell so basically you do a nice breath work session, have an epic ice bath, and then swing the kettlebell. And there's a whole reasoning for the for the for the the flow of it. And oh man, we could so deep dive into this, but just briefly, there's been some research that shows that when we do uh, strength training straight after an ice bath, it massively positively impacts our testosterone levels. Um, which is something that both men I've and heard women. Heard about this, yeah. yeah Versus yeah. post, it actually decreases muscle growth. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Dude, ever since I heard <laughs> that on a podcast, I was like, I gotta do it, and then I haven't yet because I'm scared. <laughs> because when I hit that ice bath again, I'm just like, I'm not working out right now, dude. I'm gonna go drink a hot cup of tea in the shower. <laughs> I'm working no, my way you, up to it. Though. Honestly try like the experience plus you're also doing something called pre-cooling so often the limitation because our bodies our muscles don't have much of a ceiling in terms of getting hot so as soon as they reach like that temperature where they can't get they don't want to be any hotter than that we can't do any more exercise but it doesn't mean that we have overworked our muscles it could even be that there's a lot more capacity there and so if we pre-cool by something like an ice bath we can actually go more towards our limit in terms of a workout and have more gains from strength and stamina etc so uh and it you also warm up really nicely like if you start doing some nice squats and um what's the one where you like you squat oh squats and cleans even or just something that gets you like moving but not too fast you heat up super quickly and then and then it's just the best experience i mean and then plus the dopamine's going from the uh the ice bath and the adrenaline without spiking the cortisol so you've got like focus and intensity and clarity and happiness and then you're doing a kettlebell workout it's it's pretty epic and so talk me through it you you jump out of your cold plunge tank and then you just like Hightail it to the gym and grab your kettlebell <laughs> or what? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's not, it's not freezing and snowing outside here. So we've got a beautiful uh, deck that we go and stand on, but basically, so the first thing is, is just starting with obviously a little warm up, get the body 
moving and ready to, to like stretch it out and everything. And then doing some breath work, which is oxygenating, cleansing, detoxing, waking up. And then from there, moving into the ice bath. And then from the ice bath, it's actually taking a few minutes getting out and breathing slowly, keeping things calm, feeling the intensity, not avoiding the intensity of the cold or the achiness that happens and staying with that for at least a few minutes until generally when I've started shivering a little bit, then I'm like, okay, cool. This is like, I've, I've done as much as I can in terms of staying calm, allowing my parasympathetic to activate brown fat activation, et cetera. And then from there, I'll walk over to the kettlebells and, and start up a, a kettlebell workout. I'm going to do it. You inspired me. I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me know how it goes. I'd love to, I'd be so excited to hear. I'll send you a picture for accountability's right. sake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. You've committed to it on the internet. So I've committed to it on the internet. Here I go again. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I just want to ask you one more question uh, related. Well, just I'm, I ask every guest this question. And the, the, the question is, what do the words or when you hear the words, we are already free? What comes up for you? What comes up for me is that all this stuff that I've made up in my head about, like all the barriers that I have are unnecessary. They don't exist. I've created them out of nothing because we are already free. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's very complicated and simple at the same time. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that's just it. There's nothing else to say. We are already free. Just go get it. <laughs> Me, swing go that, get it. Swing I, belt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Thank you, brother. And where do people yeah. find you to, to look up more of your, your good work? Mostly on YouTube, I think would be a good, good, uh, direction Butenko films on YouTube. I have a lot of wild edibles content as well as a bunch of other variety content out there. I'm on Instagram. You can go to my website, sergeybutenko.com. And you can also pick up my book. If, if anybody's watching this, I have a book about wild edibles and right. it's pretty damn good. I'm proud of it. Epic. Thank you. And I'll share all of that in the show notes as well. So people can easily just click through and find that. And yeah, thanks again for coming on. It's been such an enjoyable conversation. Really appreciate connecting with you. I had a blast, Nathaniel. Nathan, Nathan, Nathaniel, Nathan, Nathan. Nathan. Right? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank I you often so wish I was named me on Nathaniel. Your show. <laughs> thanks. You can always change it. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I don't recommend that though. John um, Steinbeck says that in his book, East of Eden, which is one of my favorite books, he says that um, people who use nicknames or change their names never learned how to live with their, the name that they were given. And when I read that, I was like, holy shit, because for most of my life, uh, I've been Sergei. But in my youth, kids made fun of me because Sergei has the word gay in it. And they're like, oh, you're gay. And I didn't even know what that was at the time, but I was made fun of it. So I changed the, the name of, changed my name in my youth to Sergi, which kind of in a way almost sounds even more in that direction. And when I read that in Steinbeck, I was like, wow, I need to, I need to regain my name. And so he helped me to see that Sergei is my name. <laughs> mm. Yo, well, thank you for sharing that story. That's uh, so I went by Nate for a really long time because well, my sister, for whatever reason, started calling me Nate many, many years ago. And then when I, I became a professional, or I started playing music as a kind of profession or heading in that direction, I was like, Nate Maingard. It just sounded so cool and so, yeah, so hip. And, yeah. Like, and, but then over time, as I did some of my work and my internal healing, I realized that, wow, the name Nathan, which means the gift that God has given 
uh, or specifically Nathaniel, Nathaniel, the gift that God has given, but Nathan still means the gift. And I, I realized that the na- word Nathan is much softer. It's na- Nathan has a softness and a flow to it. Was Nate is very abrupt. And I it's realized- like a willow that, Nate- that bends in the, the wind versus right. a, a branch that breaks. There you go. Exactly. And I had that same realization. And I love that you shared that about naming because it's been so powerful for me to reclaim my name and be like, wow, it's, I feel it's good to be Nathan. It's good to own that, what that feels like. So thank you. Thanks for having me on your show, Nathan. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. So yeah, you as well, brother. Really just such a joy. I look forward to the next one. Let's do it. Thank you again to Sergey Botenko for your presence on the We Are Already Free podcast. You can find links to Sergey plus many of the things we talk about at alreadyfree.me forward slash 24. That's just the numbers two, four. That's also where you'll find a link to Patreon, where you can access the full video version of this episode, plus bonus conversations with other guests, get a personal shout out on the podcast and many more lovely goodies as a thank you for supporting. Thank you so much for valuing this podcast as much as I do. Please reach out if I can be of service. My contact is in the show notes, as always, at alreadyfree.me forward slash 24. Thank you for being here with me, dear listener. Together, we are remembering that we are already free. See you next week. Thank you.